You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Pete Wilmoth. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's March 29th. After nearly two years of investigation, Special Counsel Robert Mueller submitted his report to Attorney General William Barr last Friday. Two days later, Barr issued a four-page summary of Mueller's findings. Since then, there have been many conversations and debates, but one underlying fact has been missing from much of the discussion. As part of an ongoing global campaign to undermine trust in Western democratic institutions, Russia used social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter to influence American voters during the 2016 presidential election. Russia's efforts have succeeded in deepening existing divisions in American society and creating new ones. What's worse is that this problem isn't going away. More than two years after the election, the average U.S. citizen is exposed to Russian disinformation on a daily basis. Also, there's another problem. The problem with our current strategy to combat Russian disinformation is that there is no overarching strategy. That's Elizabeth Bodine Barron. She's a RAND information scientist who has studied what she calls Russia's disinformation chain. The first link on the chain is Russian leadership. Disinformation flows from there to other parts of the Russian government or Russian proxies. Then it hits amplification channels, including social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Finally, it reaches consumers, including U.S. citizens and even decision-makers. Bodin Barron warns that there's no silver bullet to counter Russian social media influence. Instead, she and her fellow researchers recommend several approaches that target different links in Russia's chain of disinformation. For example, U.S. officials could establish clear, enforceable norms for what kind of behavior is acceptable on social media. Another approach is to increase the transparency of how platforms like Facebook and Twitter detect and delete disinformation. And that lack of an overarching strategy that Bodine Barron mentioned earlier? Here's what she says should be done to make the U.S. response less fragmented. So one of our key recommendations is to create a formal organization with the authorities, the resources, and the expertise to coordinate all of these different efforts, requiring active participation and engagement from both public and private sector entities, in particular, the private social media companies that are serving to amplify these disinformation campaigns. Clearly, Russian social media influence is a complex problem that requires a thoughtful response. Unfortunately, the U.S. may not have the luxury of time. I think without engaging in at least some of these activities, this is a problem that's only going to continue to grow. We're going to see more and more erosion of trust in our democratic institutions. And so this is something that needs action now, not just from the legislative side, but also the executive and other branches of government. If you want to learn more... Go to RAND.org to watch a 20-minute video of Bodine Barron outlining how Russian social media influence works and how to stop it. And of course, you can also download her research for free. Have you ever spent time in Manhattan? Well, if so, there's a good chance you spent some of that time stuck in traffic. Lawmakers in New York are planning to implement congestion pricing to address this problem. Their plan would install tolls for drivers who enter Manhattan's busiest areas. Congestion pricing has helped reduce traffic in places like London, Stockholm, and Singapore. 
but if the plan in Manhattan goes forward as expected, it would make New York the first U.S. city to charge drivers for using its roads. According to Charlene Rohr, a researcher at Rand Europe, there's a lot to like about this approach. First, congestion pricing works. In other cities, traffic decreased substantially when tolls were activated. When the tolls were turned off, so to speak, traffic levels increased to almost, but not quite, where they were before. And when tolls were turned on again, there was a similar decrease. Second, the reductions in traffic seemed to stand the test of time. One year after the introduction of a congestion charge in London, traffic was 30% lower, with a large increase in the number of taxis, buses, and bicycles. Finally, while some observers worry that tolls may hurt low-income people while giving the wealthy an easy ride, there's actually evidence that tolls can help everyone. That's especially true if revenues go toward things like improved public transportation. So when it comes to congestion pricing, Charlene Rohr, the Rand Europe researcher, has some advice for those of us on this side of the pond. Try it. You might like it. Efforts to prevent terrorists from accessing money have been successful. But what if organizations like ISIS and Al-Qaeda start evading authorities by shifting away from currencies issued by government and toward cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin? This doesn't seem to be happening just yet. But a new RAND report suggests that the next generation of cryptos could prompt increased use by terrorists. The authors of the report identify several factors that would make cryptocurrency more viable for extremists. A better ability to conduct transactions anonymously, for instance. Or widespread adoption of a cryptocurrency, which would enable more illicit use. Fortunately, there are steps that could be taken to help prevent a future of crypto finance terror. Regulation and oversight of cryptocurrencies, along with international cooperation between law enforcement and intelligence officials, are both crucial. What's the best way for the U.S. Air Force to maintain its roster of pilots? RAND experts examined whether increasing pay bonuses to retain current pilots is more efficient than recruiting new ones. The researchers found that training new aviators is quite expensive. Training an F-16 pilot costs $5.6 million. An F-22 pilot? Nearly $11 million. Training a new bomber pilot can range from $7.3 million to nearly $10 million, depending on the aircraft. Costs are somewhat lower for transport and mobility pilots, ranging from $1.1 million to $2.5 million. Retaining current pilots by boosting their bonuses would be more cost-effective for the Air Force. That's true for each of the pilot specialties the researchers studied. 25 years ago, a 6.7 magnitude earthquake rocked the San Fernando Valley. 11 hospitals were damaged. 8 were evacuated. In response, California adopted a law that aims to make hospitals more resilient to seismic events. The law requires hospitals to reduce their risk of collapse by 2020 and to remain operational after a quake by 2030. The state holds hospitals responsible for the entire cost of the necessary upgrades. A new RAND report finds that the investment California hospitals would need to make is substantial, between $34 billion and $143 billion statewide. With more than a third of these hospitals already facing financial distress, this requirement poses a challenge. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. 
For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week.